Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. All right, Marketeers, thank you so much for joining me. Today, I have on Perrin Olson. He's a CPSM and a CCMP. He leads the marketing team at Rex Construction, Rex Engineering, and Rex Technology, which includes SuperDroid robots. Previously, Perrin was my IT's chief strategy officer, leading the marketing strategy and sales team while providing client relations. Before my IT, Perrin led the construction marketing firm, The Brand Constructors, and became a nationally recognized thought leader. Perrin then worked with Hinge Marketing, a national professional services marketing firm that specialized in high growth professional service firms. He is a certified marketer with SMPS and the Construction Marketing Association, past president of the SMPS Southeast Louisiana, and past co-chair of the SMPS Southern Regional Conference, SRC. He has spoken and written exclusively within the build and tech industries, and in 2014, he wrote the Construction Executive's Guide to Brand Marketing and is quoted in numerous marketing publications. Welcome, Perrin. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I brought you on here today to talk about how do you know when it's time for a rebrand? But before we dig into that, I'm curious how you got started in the industry. What's your story? Like most of us, we didn't, you know, dream of being an AEC marketing consultant or marketer from kindergarten. Right. Uh, no, actually, I'm here because of Toy Story, of all things. Okay. So Toy Story came out when I was in high school, and I really wanted to get into 3D animation. It was such a new technology then. There wasn't schools, so I actually went to school for graphic design and turned out a very small shop, and I mean small by... I worked at the owner's living room for a couple of years, stayed 14 years in total, went from intern to VP there. Oh. Company grew to a lot, 12 people, but it was, it, it was great to be small because you got to be very diverse. But one of the things I learned in my journey is becoming a senior designer. I was actually a much better marketer and project manager than I was a designer. Okay. So it led to my strengths, kind of stumbled into construction through a referral from an IT firm, which is later the company I worked for my IT. So that was more of a full circle, but I've always kind of gravitated toward construction technology and Harry met Rex both. So with robots, construction engineering, and soon to be construction robots. Love that. Yeah. So in order to have this conversation, I think we first need to start off with how do you define a brand? Yeah. So first off, the brand's not a logo. Hopefully anyone on this podcast gets that. Probably right. Probably fight that with executives and people that aren't marketers. So I define the brand as a collection of experiences. So, mm. and that will vary. So the more experiences you have, the more diverse and better well-rounded that picture will be. Uh, you know, so our vision of Disney is probably different because you're a West Coast and I'm an East Coast. I probably think Disney World, you probably think Disneyland. Yeah, like My kids are a little bit older, so you might be thinking Disney Junior, and I'm thinking more Disney movies. And just mm-hmm. so even though Disney has the same logo for both of us and it has its same word and all these things, it's a very diverse brand. And everyone that you talk to will have a very different experience and collection of experiences with something like with Disney. 
to bring it to like the AEC world, I've heard the horror stories of a business developer working on a contract for a couple of years and the day of the bid was due. One of their truck drivers with a company truck logo and all that decided to give the one finger salute to the, the client's CEO. And he's like, no matter what, I can't hire you. Like, cause that was that CEO's collection of experiences that day. Wow. Multi-million dollar deal lost because of traffic truck rage. driver, road, truck drivers and road rage. So, oh my gosh. And so even though that you know, his direct contact had a collection of experiences that would easily forgive that, but that CEO was like, I'm not signing a multi-million dollar deal because of that. Wow. So it's that collection experience is really powerful. And one of the best quotes I've ever heard about is actually Jeff Bezos from Amazon is your brain is what people say when you walk out the room. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a good way to kind of summarize it. So it's not what your logo looks like or how good your marketing materials look, or it's, it's what people say behind your back. Perfect. So then I think to have the conversation about when you would need a brand refresh or how you would know you need a brand refresh or a rebrand it's sort of important to know like what, what a good brand feels like. What does a strong yeah. brand feel like? Yeah. I, I think strong is kind of when everyone's on the same page and generally the one you need the rebrand is when they're not on the same page. One of the, okay. when I, when someone comes to me and it's like, Hey, I think we need to rebrand. Kind of, my question is what changed? You know, okay. did the, did the company culture and even services evolve to the point where your brand, your name maybe doesn't make sense. Did you have mm -hmm. a founder that maybe retired? that the name doesn't make sense anymore? Or do you need to make a brand that's more aspirational that you want the company to then catch up to, to be a little bit more forward thinking? You know, you'll see this a lot with more tech space where they'll develop a brand for something that doesn't really exist. And they're kind of letting that play catch up. And we do see that in the construction space. There's also been a lot of construction companies that rebranded branded as a very tech savvy look right. and kind of attitude and the verbiage. And you're like, you're a very old school construction company. Like, what are you doing? And what they're doing is they're kind of planting a flag 10 years in the future and letting that catch up. So okay. it's the, the strong brand is it's, it is really hard to define kind of like, how do you define company culture? But sure. it's, it is definitely something that people kind of know when they, they know it and you got to kind of get past the visuals. And that's one of the hard part. I mean, the easy signs are the, the multiple logos or disjointed color schemes and different variation, but a lot of that's actually more of like, I would call a brand theme. Every couple of years, you might refresh your theme. Like McDonald's hasn't changed the golden arches in decades, but every couple of years, they kind of have a new campaign. So right. that's easy to get lost in the weeds. Some of the things, the hard things I look for of what might be driving a poor brand is like a lot of client turnover where there's this disconnect mm -hmm. between clients and your employees. A lot of employee turnover. Okay. Even when I've done rebrands, I try to warn people like, hey, once we define who we are as a brand, you're going to lose some people. Like it just, they're not a fit anymore. I had a case where I had a client in the IT sector that their brand personality, they positioned themselves really as a superhero. We're going to go above and beyond and stay past eight to five. And they worked a lot in actually the government space where mm. they were expected to work literally from eight to five and then check out. But they were trying to supersede that and kind of live past this DBE stigma that they had. And one of their best project managers came and was like, I can't, I'm a single mom. I can't work past five and just like, I'm out. And mm. so they had to have a conversation with, okay, yeah, that's a description of what we have, but what did it mean? And actually it found out she was struggling. She was struggling to keep up with expectations because of her home life and it didn't work. And, you know, it's one of these stories that you really hate because they were 
brand. It, she'd worked there for decades. And as they really pushed out this brand that personified who their ideal employee was, you know, mm-hmm. we hear a lot about ideal clients, but what about ideal employees? She wasn't it. And sure. I ch- checked in with a client, kind of actually stumbled in with one day, like three years later. And yeah, she's happier, they're happier, and it all worked out. But yeah, that was kind of painful. You know, so employee, client turnover is definitely a thing. And I think a big thing is also, how do you, you're struggling to recruit people that don't know you. If, mm. and I see this a lot in construction where they're established company, they can recruit a lot of people that are kind of mid-career, they really struggle with a young career. And the reason they can do mid-career is because they know the people there. They know the sure. reputation. But yeah. the brand, and before you get to know the people, you know, the website, the verbiage on that website, just, it doesn't pull people in. And it's amazing how many times I've redone a website in my, in my career. And all of a sudden HR is like, we're getting better people, better qualified people, we're getting younger people, people that want to be here, people that have done their homework about like, and all we did was change the website. We've changed that public image because people don't realize, especially in construction, how powerful that website is just in recruiting. Big time. Uh, it's, I know even when my team puts up a job post, our LinkedIn followers kind of skyrocket for certain jobs because they're starting to follow us. They want to see what we're doing, want to engage with us. And mm-hmm. it's an interesting transition. And okay. kind of the other things I would say is when you do your debriefs or proposals, and I know you do this a lot, is you get those vague debriefs like, you didn't do anything wrong. You guys were qualified, but we like them better. Like when you start getting those, it means you're probably chasing things you shouldn't be chasing or you just never defined who you are. And that other company is more niche, there's more of a connection there. Sure. I'm more excited about what they are. And I think that's really the one that's the hardest one to find, but probably the most important is it's kind of everything's vague. Everything's gray. And a lot of people like to live in that safe zone, but the safe zone is actually what's hurting them. Right. Especially in the AEC industry, yeah. when a lot of people like to hang out in the safe zone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, engineers like to be safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah. literally their job is to play it safe. And, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things you, you talk to people like, well, who do you service? Always, we do every market. We do everything for everyone. And you're like, yeah, you don't get any business that way. Versus this one company, it's like, we only do K through 12 architecture in the state of Florida. Like, and maybe even more fun. We only do STEM K through 12 in the state. Like, wow, Mm -hmm. I know exactly who your 30 targets are now. Right. Right. So you mentioned there the maybe not the difference, but I I suppose what is the difference between a rebrand and a refresh? You mentioned that McDonald's does sort of like a new marketing campaign, which feels to me like a refresh versus a rebrand. Yeah, the refresh, sometimes it's just you take a dated logo and just kind of modernize it. You might take the serifs off the font, like just you, you can make those kind of simple changes, but it's still like quick glance, it looks like it. And I think that's also an interesting piece with construction because you've the cost of the logo and even the rebrand exercise and all the research isn't the expensive part it's replacing the logo and all the hard hats the construction equipment the signage and all like right they literally spent a half million dollars just replacing a logo hmm. and, and it was funny because they blocked it like a five thousand dollar logo refresh like it was like that's not this the, is cost. the least <laughs> of your problems yeah don't really get the bigger piece of this. Right. So a logo, sometimes we can do transitional logos. So like a rebrand to me is essentially a complete 180. You generally start with a white sheet of paper and okay, who are, who are we as a brand? You help define right. your brand, do that research and the strategy. And then, okay. And then I look at the current logo and the brand and things like that. Okay. Does this represent this brand personality? Mm. And if it does, maybe make some updates just to modernize it a little bit. But if it's like, no, we've got a huge disconnect. 
you know, there's a company here in New Orleans that sells copiers and technology and names all facts. And I'm like kind of screaming at their people for years. I'm like, you need to change your name because your name's all facts and you're selling technology. Like, and your logo looks like it was done in the eighties and then copied a few hundred times. Like it just, I hate to pick on them, but it's, it's a good example of their name is hurting them. And yes, they are an sure. established company that's in this space that doing their name change is a big deal. And they're kind of scared of that. They literally have fax in their name. And it's like, you don't sell fax machines anymore. you got buyers and I don't even know what a fax machine is. I'm intentionally kind of pulling something that's not AEC because I don't want to pick on something in AEC either. So <laughs> yeah. we, we've all seen those, those names that are kind of like, oh, yo, there's another company I saw a while back named YOLO. And I'm like, they weren't AEC. They're a digital marketing firm. And I'm like, wow, you just stamped your flag and we're going to be this generation. They have right. rebranded since then. I actually don't even know the name of it now. But I always like to start with that blank sheet of paper. Okay, let's define who we are. What's our personality? What's our culture? Where are we trying to be? And then is there that disconnect? And sometimes you'll actually make a transitional logo. Um, I know Popeyes is a big thing for you guys out West. But for me in New Orleans, it was started here, which now it's in Atlanta. But they've evolved that actually at one point they developed the logo and then they took like three or four iterations to catch up to it. So they were okay. really good at transition because... When they were transitioning their logo, they were also transitioning the design of their stores. And that could be a, a very expensive transition. So they kind of tiered or big different steps for their owners. They kind of go from this old 80s look to a more modern early 2000s look that just to help with cost. Got it. Okay. So it sounds to me like the, the brand refresh is more focused on the visual aspect of a brand, whereas yeah. a rebrand is like sort of like the, the full iceberg yeah. as opposed to just the tip of the iceberg, what yeah. people see. I, yeah, I would say the other thing, maybe the refresh is kind of rounding the corners. I think okay. It's a lot smaller in impact, but yeah, the, a rebrand can be, let's start over essentially. Right. Okay, perfect. So you already outlined some of sort of the red flags that a brand yeah. is misaligned. Are there any others that we need to touch on of like, how do you know that you need a rebrand as opposed to just maybe a, a refresh. I, I think a lot of times it's that disconnect, whether it's between right. employees and leaders, potential employees and current employees, clients. You know, one of them I did mention was you have a lot of clients that don't get it. And that's one mm. reason why you have client turnover is you have this bad client relationships or client fit. And they don't really understand your value and things like that. Well, a lot of times that value isn't necessarily your operational team. We haven't defined what our value is. We haven't defined who we are. So mm. you're chasing people that are just not a good fit. That's it, it. Sometimes it's hard to say, is that brand marketing? Is that business development or even operations? Like it, it kind of all goes together. And I think it also works on the employee side. You have a lot of people that are just kind of like, blah, they're not bad at their job, but they're not great at their job. Like it's, right. I went through an exercise years ago with a group I was in, I was exclusive to your one spot per industry, essentially. It was a business development group. And it was like, I told him, the average Joe in this group hurts us more than a bad member. Because a bad mm -hmm. member, if you ranked everyone from one to 10, somebody who scores like a six or under is a bad member. You're going to kick them out. A seven or eight is blah. They don't do anything great, but they don't think bad enough to get kicked out. But they're preventing somebody from being a nine or 10. If you kind of extrapolate that to a company version with clients, you can only work for so much. We all have so much capacity. Right. So if you constantly work for companies that are just kind of blah, they're not great fits, but they at least pay the bills. 
you don't actually ever succeed. Eventually, that perpetuates some more turnover, both on the client mm -hmm. and the employee side. It's a very quality-based thing that people don't get it. You know, there's just this sure. friction potentially. And sometimes it's just simple as, you know, if a company says they're very innovative and a client's not very innovative, that causes friction. Sure. So it's helping to find those kind of things. Like I've worked with a structural engineer. He detested over-engineering. So his fees were higher because he spent more time because he put hitting the nail on the head, but that actually saved his clients material fees and constructions timeline. So generally return on investment was much higher, but it had to find a client that was willing to pay more for engineering to pay less in construction. And right. there's some clients that just like, well, I don't understand why your fees 50% higher than the other guy. Because mm. I'm going to save you a million dollars in concrete. Like it just... He had to find that right client that like, no, I don't want to over-engineer and play it safe. I actually want to get the right materials that I need. Got it. Okay. It seems like from what you're saying, hit rates would be another good spot to look then if you just, yeah. if you keep losing a certain client or I, clients across the board. Maybe. I think it's especially your hit rate on shortlist. Like if you can get shortlist. qualified because, you know, you think of the proposal around is really qualifications. You're highly qualified to work this job. If you keep losing the shortlist, it might not actually even be your interview skills. It could be just sure. that, that vagueness, that blondness, that you're not connecting with people, that you don't, there's nothing special about your company. Sure. I hate this. That's a tough thing to tell, especially if you're an internal marketer. It's like, hey, there's nothing special here. And hmm. I, I faced that when I got the Rex. I was like, hey, we've got some amazing engineers, we've got some amazing construction, awesome portfolio, but it's very diverse. It's very random. How do we make something special out of this? Yeah. You know, I, I used to hear that a lot, too, when I was trying to come up with differentiators and win themes for proposals. Yeah. Where, and it was early days, so there yeah. there are things that I could have done better to get those out. But one of the things that I heard a lot at one of the firms I was with was, well, there there really is nothing that makes us different. Yeah. And I was like, that's a problem. I, I saw the same thing I hear it all the time. And part of it is people think different means we have to be different from everyone. Mm. So if you kind of try to chart it on the you know, next Y axis, you're not trying to be the far left, the far right, the top. Like it's more just how do we get away from a cluster on different key terms? So, right. you know, like for example, Rex Engineering, any structural engineering, MEP engineering, and actually connections. We design actual connections for steel. That's actually one of our specialties, which honestly didn't know it was a thing before I started there, even though sure. I've been in the industry almost 20 years. Like, and I'm like, what are we, what are we good at? What are we like, and connection right. engineering could be like a thousand dollar project. Like we literally designed the connections for this big building, but it's, it's pretty quick. So we had a lot of kind of turn and burn projects. That's the nature of the business. One of the things that I saw was we had some people who were recruited post-COVID that had literally worked across the globe, like Dubai, Moscow, London. We were already based in Chicago, LA, and Orlando. So we already had kind of this whole coast-to-coast -coast thing, even though we only had a few offices. We sure. also had a lot of foreign people that worked for us, whether they were you know, American citizens, some people came on visa, things like that. So we, we wrapped this theme. We didn't change the logo, we didn't change the company name, but this idea of the theme of world-class expertise. Mm. Because we have people that have this global expertise and we went after companies that were trying to build across the country, across the globe. And one of our differentiators was we're licensed, especially in structural in almost every state in Canadian province. So we went in position for that and it worked. And it also helped recruit other people. We have some people that are highly qualified. We have PhDs on the staff that are coming mm -hmm. here on a visa and they're looking for a place that actually accepts people that are coming here on a visa because that's a different culture than some places. You know, it's sure. 
we have this amazingly diverse engineering team that was essentially kind of hidden because we didn't realize it was our differentiation. Sure. Perfect. Okay. So now we've sort of gone over what a strong brand feels like, what it feels like when the brand is misaligned. Yeah. So let's say you're listening to this and you're like, holy crap, <laughs> there are red flags here. Yeah. What do you do about it? Yeah. So there's a, a few things you got to kind of measure. And time and money is definitely the two bigger ones and your sure. expertise. You know, if you're the in-house marketer. You kind of say, am I a brand strategist? Am I someone that's comfortable doing this? Do I have time to do this? If you're in that proposal grind, you might not have time to deal with sure. this. this is the something answer is, that is, a, is a no. Yeah. <laughs> yes. a big no. But sometimes the benefit of being new is the benefit mm. of having that third-party objective. But also, you don't essentially have the extra stuff. You know, it's one of the things I liked when it came around. It's like, I kind of have some extra freedom because I'm not ingrained in all these things that, you know, you kind of pile on after you've been at a company for a while. Right. And in that objectiveness is really powerful. So you're coming in and you've got some branch out you can go through and kind of do it yourself or you can bring in a consultant. There's a lot of great AEC marketing firms and AEC consultants in this space. Like SMPS has some amazing people that I love going to conferences and reading the publications and the podcast because... They're just a wealth of knowledge. So sure. you do have a lot of resources that are industry specific that, and most of them work nationally. So they might have your exact clone in another city that they know mm -hmm. really well. And so you're not worried about competition and stuff. That's one of the fun things about being, working in this industry. Big time. And it usually starts with research. You know, you start with interviews, you start with you know, the, the surveys and try to get, digest, okay, who are we? What are we trying to do? Some of it's just even asking people, who are we? How would you right. describe this company? And you know, it's insane when you see, like, you get back, say, 50 surveys, clients, employees, leadership, and there's a huge disconnect between what, how would you describe the firm? What keywords, what personality, you know, things like that. Mm. And sometimes I'll even bring out, there's a chart called, oh, I'm trying to blank on the name. It's a personality quiz, essentially, charts. It's called the brand archetype. It has, oh, yeah, yep. The, you know, it's kind of a wheel generally of it. And you kind of like, Pick one that describes us because it just gives them. And if you guys haven't seen it, you know, there's the hero brand or the lover or the innocent, the jester. The and going through that exercise. Yeah. yeah the sage, like the, it actually explained to me that why Old Spice has crazy ads is because they're the jester brand instead sure. of going like yeah. this old, yeah. old, old, like people kind of joke they're old because they're Old Spice. Somewhere along the line, they're like, we're going to be the goofy jester brand. And that's why they have crazy ads. Mm -hmm. And it works for them. Yeah. You know, right. So it's, and it's interesting to kind of, when you start understanding the brand archetype and then go look in the industry spaces, AEC is not going to have a huge expansion, but go look more in the consumer world and look at the competitors. Look at like Apple and Microsoft compete. Look at Coke and Pepsi compete. Look at Disney and Universal compete. Like, mm -hmm. and see how they're using their brand archetypes. And then hey, how do we do this at our firm? So sometimes I get struggle when you go to engineering, okay, how do you describe a brand? They're like, engineering. Okay. And you're like, how you describe your <laughs> They're like, blue. And I'm like, all right, on this wheel of brand archetypes, who are we? Mm. And yeah. And so sometimes that helps us get the conversation started. Like, oh, you mean like, and then they start going into a story or there is, who are we not? You, instead of picking the one or two that you are, you might pick the five or six or not. Mm. And that at least helps kind of round you out. You know, it's, I had an exercise, I've got a freelance client right now that's trying to they essentially brought me in because they've been trying to develop this construction technology for the last eight years. And they're kind of really stuck in the weeds. And one of the first things I did with them was, okay, on this wheel, pick one. And it was cool as all the leaders picked the same one. And it was actually not the one I expected when I walked in the door. Like, wow. I, because they're a technology, I thought they'd go very tech savvy or this idea of a hero brand. But they actually went more of the everyman brand. 
Interesting. Okay. It was, it changed the entire tone of everything. It was also cool to see that they were on the same page because I had individual interviews with six of the leaders. So it really starts with research, you know, going through all that. Um, and the other thing that I want to would suggest is looking at the competitors, see where your space is, see where the, the white space or the blue ocean would be is, is you might have something that really defines who you are. You can just, you know, write down this sentence of this is who we are as an AEC firm. Mm-hmm. And then you go look at three of your competitors are saying the exact same thing. Right. So, and it might not be wrong. I've totally written brand statements and I'm like, this is great. This is exactly who they are. And I go do the competitor research and I'm like, it just, something's off, you know? So either you're not going deep enough. Some other people have gone through the same thing. And sometimes it's also when I asked, I kind of, kind of jokingly told a client one time, like, Hey, I had a guy, and this is kind of 2.0. because I went to like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so's brother. That's a cousin. That's a form. Like they were all together. So at one point they were one company and all worked together. And then they split over the years and generations. So they kind of had similar thinking and explained why these companies were so close. Sure. And it was like, oh, okay. So it's, I was like, why aren't you guys? And then I got to hear all the backstories of the family drama and all that stuff. But yeah, it's still business is still people. So sure. Yeah. But it, that's one of the big things, but. I talked earlier on the red signs to say it was more qualitative as a whole. They don't get it, the vagueness. But right. I do want to say is if you're going to approach your leadership with the idea of a rebrand or refresh, because you have to bring in the metrics. Like we're losing here and we can't put our finger on. It. And generally that means it's a brand. So sometimes mm-hmm. even doing that research is just coming up. Okay, here you just basically find all the things that are disconnected and disjointed. So sometimes you kind of have to sell a two-part. So you don't sell the rebrand. You say, hey, can we just do some research to see are we on the same page? Can we just define who we are? And then you basically, that forces the hand of, you, you confirm that you're on the wrong page or on the right, are on the right page. And then if you're on the wrong page, okay, that kind of forces the issue. Okay, what do we do about it? Right. So I realized as, as we're having this conversation, we're, yeah. when we're talking about, you know, the, the brand messaging, could we maybe break down the components of, what brand messaging consists of because I wouldn't have known to ask this question a year ago before I started you know looking into the rebranding process but now I know that there are so many components to a brand's message and like a full rebrand like we were talking about do you want to dig into like the the various pieces of what a brand might get a little technical. Generally, what I, when I think of brand messaging, there's usually a, you know, you've got your logo, that visual identity of who you are, and then usually right. have like a tagline or a theme that kind of coexists with it. And maybe it's an official tagline, you get trademark or service mark, or it's something that like, I use the term brand thing, because a lot of times it will evolve every couple of years. Then you still kind of behind the scenes, you might have a brand positioning statement or a value proposition statement. Right. Uh, they help describe who you are. And that value proposition, you probably should actually have two. One is an external to clients, one is an internal for employees. Because your value to your employees is very different than your clients. And I've seen a lot of marketers really get hung up on that. And these are very different than the mission and vision. Unless you're building out a that aspirational brand that you're kind of playing the flag 10 years out, most likely your vision statement is not a brand statement. And you can go through other exercises. Like I've worked with companies that we literally wrote out like a one page summary of who this brand is as a person. And it was a construction company just mm-hmm. made sense. But it's interesting. There's times I've gone through 
thousands of hours of exercises that that happens and you kind of have to define this and it's very you know, analytical. And I've also worked with companies that they just get it. There's a sure. company here in New Orleans that I love to use an example. And I didn't name this company. This is just also awesome. her name's Demo Diva. And she's a small one woman wrecking crew, essentially, but she's now grown into a small company. She started off as a post Katrina trying to, she just wanted to demolish her house. And she got tired of being a single woman that was taken advantage of by contractors that wouldn't take her seriously. So she's built out an entire brand of feminine power and everything is hot pink. She has hot pink bulldozers, hot pink excavators, and at least 150 dumpsters around. It's amazing. Like, and she's just a bundle of energy. Anyone who meets her, it's, she's just this bundle of energy and it's her. She mm. didn't pay anything. That's just all who she is. I came in 15 years later, kind of help her. Okay. What do we do with this? How do we get this out of Simone into a company? Like, right. so I'm helping her kind of round out things, document some of the things, grow you know, things like that. But it's, it's just her. So you do re come across these founders that just get it. And that's right. the hard part is now they might be retiring. They might be just stepping out. The business is growing way past them. You know, now you're going from like a founder brand to a company and actually transition into a company brand. That's a whole issue. Like what is Tesla without Elon Musk? And they've been going through this transition because when Tesla started, Elon Musk didn't start it. And a lot of people don't realize that. I didn't you know, know they, that. Yeah. So he kind of made him a thing. And for a long time, Elon Musk's personal brand superseded Tesla. And now you're starting to see that brand come across as who they are. And they've done a lot of good mm. things at building their community and the distraction with Twitter has helped kind of separate the two. But there's a lot of brands that that's a huge issue, especially if the company's named after them, which is very common in AEC. It's, right. Yeah. You had a good example of that. You want to the people want to change the founder's name? Is that what mm -hmm. you want? Yeah, yeah. So there's a great company in San Antonio named Bartlett Cock. And when I researched them years ago, we did employee survey and people are like, we need to change the name. It's vulgar. And it's like, that's the founder's name. And it was hard for leadership to understand because the leadership that was in place had all worked with him. And he had sure. retired and they'd gone employee owned. But for some reason, they kind of, I guess, it was, and the people that were responding were fairly new employees. And we intentionally segmented that as a, a piece, just the juxtaposed with some of the founders or the people that are essentially founders, founding employees. And they, there was this disconnect. They didn't realize that was even a name. And a lot of people thought it was two names. Even when I started, I thought Bartlett Cock was two different people that they just put, for, no, that was his full name. And he was a character and. It's like, there's no way in hell we're going to change the name of this company because he's who he is. Right. But now they're going through this like almost third generation from founder to the founding members to now they're all retiring. This is a whole new crop of employee owners that, you know, that brand has had to transition through and they've done it very well. It was, they've had to kind of go back internally because this is who we are as Bartlett Cock, the company. And here's who our founder was. You know, and explain that. And that's really hard when the name of the founder is the company name. You know, it's, right. How do you get past that? Or, you know, how do you not lose that personality when it's, they've grown, that person's retired, sold the business? And that's something we definitely see in this space. It's a lot of these companies sold, merged, you know, rebranded through other names. And it's, it's hard to see some of those names kind of transition. And some of these people don't want their name on it when they sell because they don't know what's going to happen to their company anymore. Right. So my next question is basically like as a company matures and this tags on to the story you just told yeah are there certain milestones that a company hits that should trigger a branding 
discussion? Is it something like when your employees are like, this name is vulgar, we yeah. need to change it? I think, you know, the name like the all facts, you know, there's something the technology is kind of past its time. You're that or the YOLO example that just that term kind of dissipated. Those are easier ones to recognize. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. hard to admit, but they're easy to recognize. One of the things I liked about Bartlett Cock was I actually came in, they do like a, I think it was a seven or a 10 year checkup, essentially. They just bring in an outside consultant, just kind of run through the, the course of things and do checkups. And that's how I was mm. brought in was just a normal check. I was like, this is so cool. They weren't doing it to find anything. They weren't doing it because there was a problem. They were just doing it because they felt it was a healthy way to do it. Sure. And I wish more companies would do that. But I've kind of always said a logo should generally last about 10 years. That's kind of a lifespan of a logo. A website mm -hmm. probably lasts two to three. If maybe if you're very tech savvy, there's isn't as much in this industry. It might be every year. But you should probably still be looking at, is our brand still on point every five to 10 years maybe? You know, it's right. to give you a chance to allow that logo to transition or make game plans. And then there's this whole discussion of business units or child brands and things like that. And that's a fun part I have at Rex. So we're a fairly small company of under 100 employees, but we're across seven brands. So it's fun. luckily four of them are named Rex, which helps. Sure. So we have Rex Construction, Rex Engineering, Rex Technology. And then we've created Rex.1, which is just an umbrella brand to kind of tie us all together. So we all share that as our email domain. But underneath in particular, Rex technology, we have product brands like SuperGrid Robots and Descon, the software. So it's it's a bit of juggling as a brand strategy. Okay, who's what? And like, we love grandchildren. And then we had a conversation just last week. Do we need to spin off another company off of SuperDroid? And do you want to make great grandchildren brands? Like, is that a good thing? <laughs> that was literally a conversation family with CNO tree had. Of brands. <laughs> yeah, so we do have a family tree in the, our marketing handbook. There's a family tree of the brands. Um, okay. I never thought we'd go to the fourth generation. But it, it was an honest conversation of, is this still fit into the brand? Mm. Which is actually kind of built for us because SuperDroid is a generals firm has been doing robots for 20 years. We kind of built this idea of a general firm. So almost every competitor that's come up in the last 20 years have built niche around us. Mm. So, but this was a potential deviation from what we, what we do. So, what we do. And then we even had, what if we take all of our generalists and broke it up into six different business units and six different brands? And like, this is an interesting discussion and like, there's no real right or wrong answer until you go three or four or five years down the road, you'll find out what the right or wrong answer was, unfortunately. But it is, you can, you can, it's good to explore some of these. Does it make sense to split a business unit? Does it make sense to combine business units? You know, the company that got me into construction 20 years ago, they were really good about objectively looking at their business units every couple of years and trying to see where the industry was going and redefining, remove, sometimes moving personnel, moving equipment, really reclassifying. And a lot of it was focused on two things, research from the industry and their client industry, but also just talking to their clients. What's going on? What are the, just sometimes it was just changing terminology, you right. know, was what all they were doing. And sometimes it was drastic changes where they actually moved buildings and equipment around. And so it's, it's good to kind of look at those things every couple of years, but it generally has to start with data and client intel. Right. So it, it kind of sounds like branding discussions should be happening alongside strategy discussions yeah. like we we know that our strategic plans need to happen like every three to five years it almost sounds like branding just needs to be a topic within yeah. those and it, i think most executives are starting to understand that now and this right. is when i started industry the big push was we need marketers have a seat at the table and i think we're getting there not every company but the fact that we have so many cmos in particular i'd like to point out women C cmos at these construction engineering firms and even some of them have converted to owners and CEOs. 
that says a huge amount for this industry is how progressive it's got. But it's right. that we have so many marketers that are have a voice now because 10 years ago, especially 20 years ago, it was, hey, here's the business plan for the next 10 years. And you're like, what did you just do as a marketer? Right. Like, versus now we're in these conversations and some of them are more formal, like, you know, the call I had with my CEO last week about essentially grand, great grandchildren brands, mm-hmm. but some more very strategic where we're having a moderator led vision what makes sense. And you, you know, you're also explaining not just the business ramifications, but okay, what is the marketing ramifications of this? Right. Okay. So then we, we kind of touched on this throughout this conversation, but I think it's worth sort of d- addressing directly. Yeah. What do you see as the basic differences between the A, E, and C of branding? Because they are different. We can sort yeah. of umbrella this as an AEC conversation but like an architecture brand will feel different than a construction brand yeah totally and it was funny because years ago when i was in construction marketing i specifically said i'm a construction marketer not an aec marketer because most of my competitors were heavy architect portfolios and experience Mm. and i was heavy construction that was just kind of how i came up in the industry was through construction and it also just fit me i would fit much better personality wise with contractors and i do architects Sure. Love a lot of architects, but most honestly don't want to work with most of them. Versus a lot of people I know that, that are in the you know the marketing consulting space or the the design space love working with architects because they're designers too, which mm. can add frictions. The water's a lot muddier now because you have architects doing construction management, you right? Have engineers doing construction management, also some design. Like a lot of engineers firms have architects on staff. A lot of con- some engineering firms have construction managers on staff. Like right, you have the design build, which could be a joint venture between architect and contractor or contractors that have been doing design build for a hundred years that they just didn't know it was called that. I I found out recently that there's a hundred year old construction company that their founder is an architect. It was long gone. It was a hundred years ago, but like, oh, you guys have been doing design build a long time, but just wasn't called that. Back then it was just called construction. Like it just, right. so there's definitely a different feel from them. And some it's even who their entry points are of, you know, an engineer is generally chasing architects. So their branding and their communication needs to focus on architects. They generally don't work for the end client. The architect is almost always going to have a very sophisticated design-focused brand because they're designers. Like, just right. who they are. Um, whereas, like, engineers I found are very similar to accountants, IT, on a analytical mindset and just kind of even aesthetics when it comes to marketing. Mm-hmm. And the construction generally has, like, that more boots in the ground, gritty look. And like when I was at brand instructors, our portfolio, we used to say had a lot of grit compared to a lot of our competitors that was really sexy for the architects. And I was, right. you know, so occasionally we'd come head to head on something and I would just tell the client, look, so look at the portfolio. Where do you see yourselves? And I had you know, some people was like, I'm choosing you because your portfolio and we fit more of that mold, that look, that feel mm-hmm. or vice versa. It's a two-edged sword. I don't want someone to come to me when I was at brand instructors because they wanted a really sexy look. It wasn't who we were. Right. So there's definitely a distinct feel. And while the disciplines and the fundamentals and things like that are similar across the AEC, when you get into each one, it's very interesting. And it's funny when you talk to people that have been in the industry for a couple of decades, most of them have kind of picked which one they like. Yeah. And, yeah. You, you know, do see yeah. that a lot. And everyone yes. has a reason why they've done oh, yeah. it too. Yeah. 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 Like I've, for me, I probably would never work in an architecture firm. I just probably won't. I just don't see myself doing it. I don't think there'll be a fit. You never mm-hmm. know. There might be the one oddball architect that we'd collaborate or I'd work with, but it's just not who it, 
it's it's also now it's not even my experience why I can walk into a construction company and know probably half the information I need to know walking right. in the door. So it's some of it's experience, but a lot of it is just fit, which is, goes back to the very beginning of our conversation. I was going to say, yeah, that's <laughs> a full full circle yeah. moment. There. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's about fit, you know. Well, I'm not going to spoil that full circle moment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame uh, you. <laughs> If our listeners want to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, where should I direct them? LinkedIn's the best place to find me. I'm Perfect. Heavily active on LinkedIn, and it's really easy to find me. If you smell my name right. I'm literally LinkedIn slash in slash parent. It's pretty. And you have my name, or you can find out all the stuff that's going on at Rex One. It's starting our website at Rex One, and it's literally O N E is the suffix. So. Perfect. Cool. Well, I will include any relevant links in the episode show notes. But thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, this was fun. I could talk about this for a few more days if you really want. <laughs> we may have to have you back on once I, you know, think of something more detailed <laughs> to pick your brain on. <laughs> I'd love to be back. So I, I love listening okay. to your show and doing great. It was great to meet you in person in New Orleans when we were at both at SRC yeah, so a couple months ago. So. All right, Marketeers, that's a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. As always, if you're enjoying listening to this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe and leave reviews. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. Chat soon.